Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. If you're a first timer, welcome to the party. And in this show, we're going to look back at a couple of the best conversations from our Houston Sports Talk vault. You know, one of the best parts of the Astros telecast over the last couple of seasons has been the addition of Todd Callis to the television booth. There's been this beautiful serendipity that the son of one of the Astros' original voices, the legendary Harry Callis, is calling Astros games now. In just a few minutes, you'll hear our conversation with Todd Callis right after he got the job in Houston. But before we get to Todd, I want to start with the man who started everything for the Astros over the last few years. I'm talking, of course, about leadoff hitter and Astros DJ George Springer. A couple of years ago, my old co-host R.G. Seal caught up with Springer inside the locker room, and R.G. got him going about his early years. And when I say early years, I mean way, way back. You were just professing a love of cartoons and Cartoon Network. Uh, so can you tell me maybe some of the shows that you grew up watching on Cartoon Network? Cartoon Network, well... Nickelodeon, were you a SpongeBob guy? I love SpongeBob, Rocket Power, Doug, when it was on. What are the good ones? SpongeBob was obviously probably my top uh, top five. Scooby-Doo was up there. Scooby-Doo yeah, was... Classic Scooby-Doo. Yeah, classic Scooby-Doo was, was, was just a classic. Yeah, you got to love uh, Scooby Snacks and Shaggy, you know, all of them going around in the mystery machine right then. Absolutely, yeah. It's a show that, you know, I, I mean, if it's on today, you know, I might I might, uh, I might, still stop and watch it for a few minutes. I wanted to ask you about that because you've been working with kids too, right? You and uh, the Red Sox, Matt Barnes, you started a clinic back in uh, New England area, yep. right? So you got to connect with kids somehow, probably through music and through cartoons, right? Yeah, you know, the the uh, the goal, obviously, for an athlete is, you know, to, to connect with the fans and, and, you know, especially kids because I once was a kid and, and, you know, I understand that getting a chance, you know, to hang out with whoever it is is something special for me, at least. So, you know, I try to, to give it back as, you know, as much as I can. How did you really get started in the game of baseball? I mean, I know your dad was instrumental in that, family members, but it, as a kid, what was the thing that really said, hey, I want to play baseball? There was just something about the sport that I was drawn to as a kid, and my dad and mom were big baseball fans, and, and you know, I, I just remember... Uh, when I was maybe five or six, getting a chance to go up to Fenway for the first time and just see a, a game, and I, I just fell in love with the sport then. So you mentioned going to Fenway. Uh, the Yankees are in town as we're recording this. You're from New England. The state of Connecticut, it's split along the lines. Oh, yeah. Yankees, Red Sox. I mean, what does it mean for you to be going up against the Yankees? Did you have a, a rooting preference uh, for the Red Sox or the Yankees? You said you went to Fenway Park first. How, how, what would you kind of describe that whole scenario? the Yankees and Red Sox? Well, I was a Sox fan pretty much my whole life. I'm from that area of the state where, you know, it's split half and half, but my family has always been a Sox fan, but as a player, just getting a chance to play against arguably the most historic franchise in the history of the game is is pretty surreal to be out here against guys like 
Alex Rodriguez and Mark Teixeira and Carlos Beltran, Brett Gardner. I can go on and on about, you know, that whole team. And it's something that you grow up and you watch the Sox play New York and you get to watch Jeter and Posada and, you know, all of those guys who were who were instrumental and, in, in, you know, that whole team when I was a kid. is It's something special now to know that, you know, I was once watching this team from the couch as a kid and now, you know, here I am playing against them. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And you mentioned kind of guys like A-Rod and you mentioned Carlos Beltran. A lot of people have compared you because you have the five tools of a, of a Carlos Beltran in the outfit. Have you gotten a chance to speak to the, the, any of these guys while in, in town here while the Yankees are visiting? Uh, no, you know, I I haven't had the opportunity to, you know, but it's it's just for me as a player, you know, that's obviously an honor because he's established himself. He's done everything right for 15 plus years. It's obviously something special and it's still humbling, you know, to, to be playing against them and, you know, to watch how they go about their business and their at-bats. It's a pretty surreal experience, you know, for somebody like me. What do you think is the most maybe underrated thing about A.J. Hinch and the job that he's done for this team? Ooh, the most underrated thing is who he is. What he has done is he has allowed our team to, you know, to be who we are individually, but mold as a team. He's extremely confident in us, which is obviously huge and extremely positive as well, but I think one of the most important things that not a lot of people might see is, you know, he understands how hard it is to play this game, and you know, he understands our intent isn't to go up there and fail and go out there and make an error or, you know, just whatever happens, happens, but you know, he understands how hard it is to play this game, and that actually allows us to play without fear and just go out there and play hard. Good stuff from a conversation RG had with George Springer a couple of years ago. Now let's move to our chat with Astros TV play-by-play voice Todd Callis. You might remember that Callis came to Houston from Tampa, where he was more the Julia Morales of Tampa Bay Rays telecast. And oh, by the way, Julia's name will be brought up during our conversation, so you can look forward to that. Now, Todd's dad, Harry Callis, called Astros games beginning in 1965, the year they became the Astros and moved into the Astrodome. That was also the year Todd was born. So I started off by asking him what he remembers, if anything, about his brief childhood in Houston. I was only five when we left Houston, so I don't remember a whole lot. But it is kind of cool because there are a lot of people that were at FanFest and even stopped by at the caravans that remember the years Dad was here. Uh, he started broadcasting when they became the Astros in 1965, and he left after the 1970 season and began working for the Phillies, who he'd worked for uh, for the last 39 years of his life. But got his major league debut here, started in uh, the big leagues after a minor league stint out in Hawaii, uh, which is a pretty cool place if you're going to be in the minor leagues. Uh, and then he was here from 65 through 70. So it's really neat that a lot of people still remember him in his Astro days here, uh, his first major league job. And even though I've done play-by-play in the past, I've never had a full season of play-by-play. So in essence, this is my first full uh, major league play-by-play shot. So I kind of come full circle over the years. What do I remember? Not a whole lot. Uh, remember the exploding scoreboard. Uh, I remember a couple things about Ast- the Astrodome and Astro World and uh, Peppermint Park back in the day, but I don't remember a ton of stuff. But there's definitely the snorting bull and the and the uh, Cowboys with the gun shooting that I do remember on the scoreboard. One of the things that uh, you you your dad called was the Eddie Matthews 500th home run. Was that was that his biggest call with the Astros? I think so. Although I, I do believe I remember hearing him call. Uh, the exhibition home run, the very first home run ever hit in the Astrodome by Mickey Mantle. I believe uh, that occurred during Dad's inning uh, when he was working with Gene Elston and Lowell Pass. So 
that would have been a pretty cool moment too. I know as a Phillies announcer, his greatest individual moment, not as a team, but his greatest individual call that, that everybody remembers is Mike Schmidt's 500. So I'm guessing Eddie Matthews 500 ranked way up there, although I never really talked to him about that. But I do recall him calling Mickey Mantle's first home run ever in the Astrodome. Todd, I wanted to ask you about the Philadelphia fan base, because when your dad went over there, like you said, went to go broadcast there for many years. And, of course, uh, you spent a lot of time in Philadelphia, too. Uh, what can you say about, like, the, the broadcasting games in that city and kind of what it, it kind of how it helped shape you and your broadcasting career, too? Well, Philly is definitely a tough city. Uh, it's the city of brotherly love, but it's definitely the city of tough love as well. Uh, but for whatever reason, from the very start, and Dad came into a situation where he was replacing a very popular broadcaster uh, in Bill Campbell. And Bill had been doing a number of different uh, sports, including the Phillies. And when Dad came, Bill was no longer on the Phillies broadcast. So there was a little bit initially of who is this kid they just got from Houston. We don't really know him. Uh, but it was a quick love affair where they really, Dad just loved the Phillies fans and vice versa. Uh, you see it with certain guys who have been in markets for a number of years. Uh, but there was definitely a special bond between that and the Phillies fans. For me, I uh, grew up going to Veterans Stadium. That was pretty much my uh, playground as a kid. We spent a lot of summer days there. So I didn't really know whether it was a good stadium, bad stadium, or what. I just knew that that was a major league stadium, and I loved it. Uh, but the Phillies fans were, were could be tough on Mike Schmidt as a rookie and on other guys uh, who didn't perform. But uh, once you got on their good side, they loved you forever. Were there certain players that you met and had interactions with growing up, being around baseball, maybe a story or two that you can share as a kid? Because you, you had that incredibly unique experience of, of having a dad that was around baseball all the time. Yeah, the cool thing was, you know, spring training was kind of our time to bond. Dad's schedule in the off season was even busy because he did not only Phillies for 162, uh, but then the off season he had big five basketball, uh, he would do Notre Dame football occasionally. He had NFL films work. So we really didn't get a chance to see him much year-round. The wintertime was a little bit better. Uh, but then when we go, we would go down to spring training in Clearwater, Florida, that was kind of the real family time. So we would have parties down there at spring training because it was all-day baseball during the, the uh, Clearwater spring training schedule. So we would have some, some dinner parties, and we would see players roll by, and that was great because, you know, these are guys that people idolize, and uh, Steve Carlton would stop by for dinner or – Mike Schmidt, as previously mentioned, or, uh, you know, various other major league players who played for the Phillies, and even guys that didn't play for the Phillies. Joe Morgan and Dad became great friends over the years, and Joe and Dad were friends from their Houston days, and they would um, continue to be friends throughout uh, Dad's life. So it was just, it was kind of weird because you would see all these players, and you wouldn't really think of them as these, you know, amazing superstar athletes that people hold on a ped or hold in high esteem and put on a pedestal because. They just came over for dinner every once in a while. So I was very fortunate to have that uh, growing up. I wanted to ask you, because you were also with the Tampa Bay Rays for many years, and, and there was another Astros announcer connection there with uh, Dwayne Stats. Because uh, uh, for people who m might not remember, Dwayne Stats also kind of started his career with the Astros, kind of late 70s, early 80s, and uh, then uh, moved on to other broadcasting jobs but uh what was it like working with Dwayne Stats? Dwayne was the constant and is the constant professional I mean you know he's going to bring it for every single telecast he is always ultra prepared he's always uh he's very consistent as consistent a broadcaster as I've seen or heard uh I love Dwayne Dwayne was actually here uh last week during the fan fest in caravan he and his wife had become good friends with my fiance and I and 
Um, they were here to kind of help assimilate us to the area. Uh, took us around a little bit house shopping, and we're going to continue that this week. Dwayne and his wife aren't here this week. But, uh, yes, Dwayne has become a, a very good friend over the years. Uh, he was sad that I was leaving uh, the Tampa Bay area and, and, and them, and, you know, in addition. But uh, he was also instrumental in putting me in contact with the right people here when the search was starting. And uh, I will always look at Dwayne as either like an older brother or, or a father mentorship type because he was definitely always there for me. And uh, I will definitely miss our time together. Who is your baseball broadcasting idol? Is it is it just as simple as your dad, or was there somebody else you listened to and thought, hey, this is what I want to do, and maybe this is the style I want to do it, or this is a guy that I just want to emulate the way he, he broadcast a baseball game? Because I've heard hundreds and hundreds of dads broadcast, his style and his intonations and his rhythm is kind of ingrained in me just because I was always there either in the booth next to him on Sundays. I kept the out-of-town scoreboard for the guys or just listening on the radio or watching on TV, uh, just his style, I would always hear. So that kind of became, you know, part of my style, but I also think I'm a little bit different than him. The one other guy that I really, really enjoyed uh, back in the day on TBS when the Braves weren't very good, uh, Skip Carey just always kept me interested in the broadcast because he would always uh, say something that was irreverent or uh, not. He would inject a little more humor to the broadcast than most guys did at that time. And, uh, at that point, I thought that that was really unique, and I really liked that style as well. There were five candidates, according to what I've heard, and each of you got a chance to call an old game with Jeff Blum. Describe kind of the tryout process. And one of the things that I talked to you about with was the fact that, you know, this is something that I don't know if you had even done before. And how difficult is it when it's not live to call the baseball game? Do you get the still the anticipation and the adrenaline uh, of a baseball game? Because it's a really different experience trying to call a game off maybe a, a video screen or something like that. It is a little different experience, but I also thought it was the most fair process they possibly could have come up with. I, I don't even know. Uh, I haven't done this a lot, but the few times that I have gone after a job, I thought this was the most thorough and fair process. And, yes, part of it was uh, doing a mock broadcast with Jeff Blum, uh, who they knew was going to be the full-time color analyst at that point. So, uh, the five guys, it's either five or six guys, uh, got a chance to work with him during a game. And it is a little different in that you already know what has happened in that game, but you also try not to be uh, too anticipatory, knowing what's going to happen and try and call it as if it's unfolding before your eyes. So uh, there's a little bit of a dance you do there. But at the same time, you're still calling a baseball game. I just think they wanted to hear how the back and forth would be between Jeff and whoever else was in contention. Um, and I thought, you know, we did a fine job. I'm sure the other candidates all did a great job. But, uh, again, to me, the, the Astros, in all the whole two, three months it took during the search, I thought they did a really thorough job, regardless of the fact that, that I got the job. That's not why I'm saying that. But I really thought they did a thorough job in, in trying to find who the right person was. I heard Jeff Blum had to apologize for how he acted during the one season that you were around the, the Rays and calling, it, calling his games with the Rays. Yeah, I don't know why he would apologize, but we had some very poor teams over the Devil Rays years. And in fact, I don't even know if Jeff knows this, but his 2014 that he was on uh, with the 70 and 92 record, that was the best record in Devil Rays history for the first 10 seasons. And then became the Rays, and all of a sudden, magically, they became good. Uh, but yeah, I he doesn't have to apologize for anything. We had a we had a good time. I got to know Plummer back then. It wasn't his best year. 
but uh, it wasn't a lot of people's best years when they played for the double race. So he doesn't need to apologize for anything. Yeah, RG, he's, uh, apparently Jeff Blub said he got pretty pretty upset that Panella brought out champagne when the Rays got their 70th win that season. <laughs> it's so funny because uh, I think a lot of veterans probably were a little miffed and Blummer being one of them, but uh, I can understand it from his perspective. Who wants to celebrate a 70-win season? But at the same time, I think Lou was pretty frustrated with what – he was dealing with in Tampa Bay and thought the team would be a little bit better and figured, hey, if I can get to 70 wins at this mark that nobody had gotten to uh, in Rays history, then we're going to do a little champagne toast. I do remember that. That happened uh, in Detroit, if I'm not mistaken, after they won their 70th game. What was it like to be around Joe Madden on a regular basis? You know, because the Astros, I, I think that they've got one of the best young guys in the game in A.J. Hinch and, uh, I think you're really going to enjoy being around him on a regular basis because, uh, you know, just a really, really smart guy, great with the media. You know, I, you know, he's just a guy that uh, I feel like Astros fans are, are lucky to have somebody like A.J. Hinch to, to, to help out with this young team. Working with Joe Madden was a breath of fresh air. And, uh, you know, that turnaround when they became the Rays after the, the feudal 10 seasons as the Devil Rays, Joe was a huge part of that. And uh, he changed the whole culture. He not only won and got to the playoffs four out of the six years after 10 straight years of terrible baseball, but he did so and won 90 games five of those six years. So they were on a run that may be unprecedented prior, and we may not see a small market team do that again in the future just because they were ahead of the curve with a lot of the analytics, which they know the Astros are big into. And then Joe just created this great atmosphere. I knew when the Rays lost him and he went to Chicago that it was the perfect fit between Joe Madden and the Cubs. And it was just a matter of time before they won it all. And uh, having spent some time with Joe this offseason, it's great to see all the accolades that are coming his way. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Well, one last question for you. You know, you're, you, we talked about you're the son of a broadcaster. I'm just curious, is there a special camaraderie with you and guys like Joe Buck and Tom Brenneman and Chip Carey? Yeah, there definitely is. I, I love those guys, and those guys have always, you know, we don't cross paths that often. Uh, Joe Buck actually was at Louisville the year before I went to Louisville, and then, of course, he's gone on to huge things in his career. Uh, Tom has been mostly on the National League side. I saw Chip a little bit more when he was down in Orlando doing Magic games, uh, but I haven't seen much of those guys. But, yeah, I mean, we all have a common thread and all have a common bond, uh, but I don't see them enough. But I would say that, yeah, we could always look back and, and be very, very proud of what our dads accomplished and also know that um, we have been lucky enough to be able to carve out our own path in our careers as well. Well, one thing I would say is we mentioned Jeff Blum earlier, and and that's going to be, I think, a great combination. But I really feel like you guys have the ultimate secret weapon because Julie Morales is very underrated part of that team, and she is a fun person to to do games with. And you'll you'll as I'm sure you'll find out if you haven't seen already their their relationship on the air is pretty fun, and uh, there's a lot of teasing that goes back and forth between those two. Yeah, I'm a big big fan of Julia Morales. In fact, even before I applied for this job, I always thought of her as if not the best, one of the best. Uh, sideline people and I was always jealous because she got to interact she got to be a part of the broadcast so much more than I did when I was doing uh, sideline stuff and game reports for the Rays so I was always kind of jealous how much she got to, to do in the Astros broadcast but you're right she is uh, hopefully she won't be underrated for, for long or maybe I should hope she's underrated for long because I don't want to lose her to a network I think she's going to she's great 
I, I think she adds so much to every root telecast. Uh, I'm so happy to be working not only with Blummer, but Julia adds some, such a great dimension to that broadcast. The one thing she said when I got the job is, we just like to have fun on our show. So we're going to continue that process, and I really look forward to working with Julia. Love that conversation with Todd Callis. And, hey, isn't Callis one of the best acquisitions the Astros have made in the last few seasons? I mean, listen to this. Since his arrival, the Astros won the World Series. And just recently, I looked at their overall record since he took over the mic. It's a ridiculous 282 and 158. Yeah, you could throw out all your exit velos and wars or whatever. Because we just came up with the callous calculation. How about that? Hope you enjoyed our look back into the vault. And hey, if you'd like to hear more from the Astros TV personalities like Todd Callis, go into our archives. Find the podcast from 2016 called Astros Voices Special. It's a compilation with Bill Brown, Julia Morales, and Astros PA Bob Ford. Of course, Ford is the voice you hear introducing me at the beginning of every show. In the Astros' Voices special, Brownie looks back on his remarkable career. Morales recalls her interviews with Kevin Costner and Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. And ex-Astros broadcasters Greg Lucas and Jerry Cipriano share memories of Milo Hamilton and Gene Elston not long after they passed away over the last few years. It's been a rough one for the passings of some Astros' great personalities. Anyway, that's all we've got for this one. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to support us, you can now go to the website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, and make a small donation. No obligation, but we'd love for you to give us a little bit of support. There's a donate button on the top right of the homepage or towards the bottom of the page on your smartphone. And just a reminder to look for the Texans-Lions postgame show Sunday morning. That's our next show. Again, Texans-Lions postgame. Looking forward to to preseason game number two of the Texans. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.